Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, this warms my heart. It is so beautiful to hear the chitter chatter and knowing that we're all standing or sitting in the house of the Lord. It is so warming to my heart. Is it warming to yours? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, could we go ahead and stand? Let's warm God's heart with our praises, our voices, our instruments, um, and just be in the beauty of what God is for us. Amen.
Isaiah 55, 6 tells us, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he's near. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that we can come together this morning, that we can call on your name, that we can sing praises to you, and that we can enjoy the blessings of being a part of your family. Lord, we're here to celebrate Jesus together, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today as we lift up the Lord together. Please make sure you take time to fill out your connection card. If you want to do it online, there's information on the screen and on the bulletin. And for those of you who are watching us online today, you can also do that online. At this time, I'm going to turn things back to the praise band, and we're going to continue singing to the Lord. I was Who could carry the kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive. All my fears. It was my doom Till I met you You called my name Oh 
Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, 
toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's what Psalm 121 verses 1 through 2 tell us. Keep looking up. He's our source of help. Sing a little louder 
of the storm Louder and louder You're gonna hear my praises roll Up from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated The King is alive I'm gonna sing In the middle of the storm Louder and louder You're gonna hear my praises roll Up from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated I just want to say a little something. Um, this group of vocalists and musicians behind me, um, they put in a lot of hours, and um, they don't get recognized enough, so I just want to take this time to recognize each and every person up here on the platform. Um, thank you again for doing great work as we lead you into worship and uh, lead into the message. So we have a new song for you this morning, and... Um, goes something a little bit like this. We may have done a little bit, but he's done great things. Yes. <laughs> Great things. God, you do great things. 
that we have two teams of vocalists that because uh, we have so many of them and it works out great because we've got a couple really talented teams that can do the music to bring you joy during our worship time over the next six weeks we're going to be looking at the church of Ephesus and sometimes you know when we do these sermon series I sit back and think well if I'm sitting there listening so what but what you'll find is, as we go through the Church of Ephesus, we'll learn some things through its growth and development that'll be a real blessing to us individually and as a church. We're going to be, you would think if we're going to be talking about the Church of Ephesus, we'd be in Ephesians, which we will next week and for the next five. But today we start our journey in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts in chapter 18, that is when Paul was on his first missionary journey, the Church of Ephesus was established. And then chapter 19, um, the, um, the first missionary journey took place in AD 52, and the second missionary journey took place in about 58 AD. And that's where you find chapter 19. And Paul's going to go through with the Church of Acts. Then the book of Ephesians, I'm sorry, Church of Acts, Church of Ephesus. And then in Ephesians, that book was written in about 62, 63 AD. So about roughly 10 years after the start of that church, Paul pens the letter to the Ephesian church. And one of the great things about the church of Ephesus is it is a valuable study for us because even though the church was there a couple thousand years ago, the principles are the same. 
And a careful reading of Ephesians, what you find is you'll see that the church had done a lot of great things. They were doing things well. They were very devout in their faith. They were very well organized. And they were very busy proclaiming the gospel message. During the early years, they had been growing, they had been expanding, and they had been doing the will of God. Jews and Gentiles from several ethnicities and nationalities were coming into the church, and so they were truly a multi-ethnic church that was very diverse, even in the socioeconomic realm. So the church of Ephesus really reflected the community and the area that they lived in really well. And Paul was so impressed with their sincerity, at the end of Ephesians, he says, grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. He's commending them for what they're doing. Now, they're situated in Asia Minor, which is basically modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was a central hub for commerce, for trade, and given its geographic location, and pro because of its geographic location, excuse me, and its proximity to the Kasser River. The city of Ephesus was also crucial for the ruling, uh, ruling, ruling power at the time, Rome, and the Roman government. Periodically, Roman governor, the Roman governor would travel to Ephesus and make decisions related to the important issues of, related to important issues of justice. Ephesus was also a very, very religious city. It was the home for the Temple of Diana, or Artemis, depending if you're Greek or reading Latin. And this temple was quite a marvel. It was 425 feet long, which is longer than a football field, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. The temple within it had contained the statue of Artemis. For those who believed in it, said that that statue fell from heaven one day and just landed in the temple. But I can't figure that out because people built it. But anyway, we won't, we won't, we won't pick on them here. Uh, Ephesus was a major city, not just regionally, but it was, it was powerful within the world in terms of commerce, Roman power, Greek, Greek and Roman religions. It was a very, it had worldwide impact because all these people were coming from all around the world and leaving. You know, it's, it's a little bit like Fort Huachuca where we get soldiers from all over the place and we send them out all over the world, literally. In our society, for the gospel to prosper, all of God's churches must make an impact in the worlds that they live in. And the Ephesian church definitely did that through the Apostle Paul and through the church itself. Now, we're going to spend a, a lot of time in Acts 19 today. That's basically where we will be. We're going to read some chunks of it because I kind of need it for context for the message. So we will begin this morning in verses 1 through 10 of Acts 19. It says this. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul went through the inland regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples there. He said to the disciples, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They replied, no, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, into what were you baptized? Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy, into, into prophecy. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul entered the synagogue and spoke out fearlessly for three months, addressing and convincing them about the kingdom of God. But when, um, but when some were stubborn and refused to believe, reviling the way before the congregation, Paul left them and took the disciples with him. 
addressing them every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all who lived in the province of Asia, both Greeks and, or Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So the first observation we have this morning is this. The church will make an impact by preaching and teaching the word of God. Now notice I'm using the word impact because sometimes we focus on size. And obviously there's some correlation there, but we're not talking about just having a big church. You know, there are plenty of big churches in the United States that have really no impact. But we're talking about the impact the church can make and that begins by preaching and teaching the word of God. Now, when Paul returns to Ephesus for the second time during this third missionary journey, he connects up with some who are people who are disciples of John the Baptist. And the first thing he does is he introduces them to Jesus and he baptizes them. And this leads to a period of three months of Paul teaching in the synagogue. Now, what we need to realize is, first and foremost, if we're going to impact our community, that's where our focus has to be. A lot of times as churches, it's, it gets easy to get distracted in doing everything under the sun except preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we want to have an impact, I'm not just saying a large church, but an impact, no matter what church or size, size your church is, it's got to begin with the gospel. And the reason for this is some people will say, there's a couple statements that I hear from people, and I've heard this, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe, but that's the furthest thing from the truth, and we'll see in the text why. Some will say, well, you know, it really, as long as you're sincere, then it's okay to believe whatever you want. That's all that matters is your sincerity. Well, the problem with that is, is you can be sincerely wrong. I can sincerely believe that one plus one is five, although I gotta be careful because in today's world it might. But I can sincerely believe that one plus one is five with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but be wrong. There are a lot of people that are really sincere in this world, but they're sincerely wrong. Your sincerity doesn't dictate truth. It just dictates how you feel. And how you feel doesn't dictate truth. Truth dictates truth. And too many times when I talk with people, well, I feel, I believe, I think, I really don't care. What does God's word say? That's what's important. That what does the truth say? And if I am contrary to that, I need to change my beliefs. Well, when, John, when, excuse me, when Paul comes to John the Baptist's disciples, what he does is he asks them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And these guys are like, well, no, what's that? And so he's the first thing Paul does. Now, and I find this interesting. Why does Paul, the first question he asks after that, he says, what baptism were you baptized into? The first question. And they said, well, we were baptized in the baptism of John. And you notice what Paul says, because a lot of people say, well, baptism doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. But to Paul, it did matter because that was the first question he asked these guys when they said they did not know anything about the Holy Spirit. And he told them, he says, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance to try to point you to Jesus. John's baptism did not give you forgiveness of sins, nor did it give you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That didn't come until after the new covenant was established. And we see in Acts chapter 2, where when they asked, hey, what do we need to be saved? Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when these guys heard this, man, they jumped in, they were ready. So Paul baptizes them. And after he explains to them, now if it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe and as long as you're sincere, Paul just debunks that because the first thing he does is he lovingly corrects them and he teaches them. He didn't say, well, boy, you're all idiots. How do you not know about this? He just pulls them and says, okay, let me, let me tell you what, what you've done. What you've done is good, but here's the whole truth. 
And when we preach the gospel, it has to be the whole gospel. It can't be just bits and pieces we like, ignore parts we don't like. We're doing this a lot in our society today, particularly with all this gender stuff going on. We are not doing people favors by ignoring what God's word says. We are not doing people favors by calling people names and such. We are doing people favors when we teach the whole counsel of God's word in the spirit in which God wanted us to teach it. Paul could have taken these 12 guys and patted them on the back and said, wow, you were baptized into John. You're pretty sincere about it. And you kind of, you know, whatever, go on. Good job. But he didn't. He committed to teaching the whole truth and the full gospel to them. And so when he does, these disciples of John say, you know what, we need to be baptized. And what's really cool here is when he did this, what did Paul do? He laid hands on them because he had the power to do this from Jesus. And they started speaking in, tongue, in tongues and prophesying. And you're like, why did he do that? If you look through the New Testament and you follow that activity, it always was used to get people's attention, to authenticate. Whenever the gospel went into a new area, these miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit followed. And the only people who possessed those were, people, were the apostles and anybody they laid hands on. If they laid hands on somebody, that person could not pass it on. And we know that when we look at a situation that happened earlier in the book of Acts. But what we have here is Paul is wanting to show them what I'm teaching you is true. Now you know you have the Holy Spirit. There was no doubt. So in verse 8, what happened after that is what did Paul do? He didn't say, well, I've done my job. Time to go home. He goes into the synagogue and he's there for three months. Now, Paul, being a Pharisee, realizes that when he goes into the synagogue with this Jesus stuff, he's walking into the lion's den. He knows that it's going to eventually be a problem. To their credit, he lasted three months. And he was preaching and teaching, and it says he was doing it fearlessly. And when he went in fearlessly, when you teach and preach the gospel fearlessly, you don't care about what the world thinks about you. You don't care what other people say. You don't care what other people call you. You're committed to the truth. And Paul fearlessly preached the truth. And by the way, we know he did it with the right heart because he had a passion for his people. He wanted to see all the Jews come to Jesus. Because what a waste to have all this great history and then miss the boat eventually. So he was doing all he could to bring them to Christ by preaching and teaching the truth. Now, Paul could have made his life very comfortable by taking and trying to mix a little Judaism stuff, kind of temper down the Jesus stuff. He could have given them some kind of a mix that probably would have made a lot of them happy. But he didn't. If we're going to make an impact, I'm not just saying a bunch of people in church, but an impact, we have to be willing to go into the lion's den and preach the gospel and to teach the truth. In the face of adversity, in the face of rejection, in the face of being made fun of, in the face of being called names, we have to do that. We have to teach and show what it's about to live for Jesus. We cannot allow other things to get in the way of the gospel message. In our society, you know, we bemoan, particularly as Christians, we bemoan the state of public education, rightfully so, the state of government, rightly so, and the state of the morality of our nation, definitely rightly so. Well, you know why those things are going down the circle, the, circling the drain? And if you're in Australia, you'd go the other way. But if they're circling the drain, you know why? Because Christians, now, I'm going to be careful how I say this, because I am not against Christian, Christian schools at all. I'm, I'm, I, I believe in them. But Christians have left the education arena years ago. And what do you expect? It's going to keep getting worse. 
And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I had kids in squad one of them in public schools either right now. But it's gotten to this point because we said, that's the lion's den. I don't want to go in there. I'm thankful he's not here tonight. But Donald, today, Donald Lee, one of our members is on the school board. Thank God. Thank God we have people like him on the school board because we need that. We need people that are willing to get into the teachers' unions and these other things and, and try to bring some sense to what's going on. When you're trying to teach little children in kindergarten sex ed, there's a problem. Somebody's sick, okay? We need people saying, you can't be doing that stuff. When you look at government, Christian, oh, government's filthy and dirty. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a garbage heap. When I leave Washington, D.C., when we used to go, I'm like, I got to take a shower, man, get this stench off me. It's bad. But you know what? Our early government wasn't that way. You know why Christians were involved? It's getting worse and worse because Christians don't want to engage in that arena because they don't want to go into the lion's den. Because if I go in and I run for some office and I'm pro-life, I'm, you know, I'm pro-science when it comes to gender and I'm pro-science when it comes to when life begins, I will be made fun of, I will be picked on, I may be shot at literally and figuratively. I will be called all kinds of names and most of them, I don't want to deal with that. You know, you go into the lion's den, you're going to get bit sometimes. You can't be afraid to get bit. And if we want to make a change in these things, we have to impact them. We have to get involved in them, as rough as it is. You know, we've got uh, some, some information about Compassion International. I don't know how many of you pray for the starving children around the world. You know what? You can do something about it. You can get one, two, three, whatever, and you can sponsor a child, and you can help that child not be hungry. You might not be able to help millions at a time, but you can help one. You can make a difference. Don't pray for starving children if you're not willing to do something. Don't pray for the government if you're not willing to do something. Don't pray for education if you're not willing to do something. We have to get into the lion's den with the truth of the gospel, unashamedly and unafraid, and with some common sense. I've, uh, unfortunately, we've heard some people get into some of these things, and they just start sprouting off crazy stuff. You've got to be thoughtful and intelligent and in engaging people with your discussions with them. In verse 9, we start seeing some resistance forming within the synagogue. Uh, some of the people didn't like what was being taught. Go figure. So what happens? It looks like, it looks like Paul is just scared and leaves. Because it says, when stuff started going against the way, which is a euphemism for Christianity, Paul, what he did is he uprooted all of his disciples, the church, and moved them to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, like I said, at first, it looks like he's leaving. And in part, there's some truth to that because He's at a point now where he knows if I continue here and I continue growing here, it's going to cause more trouble than it's going to help. The other thing is, who goes into synagogue? Jews. Yep. You're not going to reach Gentiles in the synagogue. You're going to reach Jews. So in a smart move led by the Holy Spirit, Paul gets the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, we don't know why it's called that. Some speculate some dude named Tyrannus owned the lecture hall. And in Greek and Roman society, it was very common, particularly with the Greeks, where they would get these lecture halls and they would rent them out and people would come in and debate, spirited debates on religion, science, all kinds of philosophy, all kinds of different things. And that's how you got your word out. You didn't have, you, you didn't have the internet and YouTube and if you want to fool your, you know, TikTok and all that junk. You had these lecture halls. And people, and because people didn't have anything else better to do, they didn't have TV, they didn't, they weren't, they didn't have their face in their phones 24-7 because all they had that time was Androids and they didn't work very well. But um, Man, I've got one of those for the shelter. I hate that thing. It's a piece of junk. But anyway, the, uh, they didn't do that. So people would come into these lectures and they would be excited and they'd see these debates from some of the great minds. 
How would you have liked to have been in the synagogue for three months listening to Paul day and night? Talk about a master's degree. There you go. And then he goes to this lecture hall for two years every day teaching and preaching. And what's interesting here is Paul preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. Guess what happened? Years ago, I, went to the, I used to go to the Missouri Christian Convention when I lived in Missouri, and it was great, and they had a lot of good speakers there. One year, I remember Bob Russell from Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. When he started that church in 60, I want to say in 69, there were like 10 people in his living room, and it grew to 10, 000, tens of thousands of people. Massive church. And I'll never forget, I was in the bathroom, there were, a lot of, there were some preachers in there, and I heard a few of them talking, well, yeah, Bob Russell, for his church to grow, he had to sell out the gospel and, you know, made comments like that. And I'm thinking, I mean, wow, really? So you think the only way to grow a church is to water down the message and sell out the gospel? That really doesn't say much for the gospel you believe in. <laughs> so what happens when you preach the gospel? Growth. Verse 10 tells us that all who lived in the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, guess what? They heard the word of the Lord. They heard it. Now, what they do with it's on them, but they heard it. And Paul was making sure that they did. Churches have to stop worrying about being popular in the eyes of the world. Some, some churches are so focused on being cool, they forget why they're there. And if we're focused on being cool, and I'm not saying we should be irrelevant, you know, dress up in tunics and stuff and wear sandals like Jesus did. Uh, that we, people look at us and think we're nuts. But the thing is, if we're, our focus is, man, we got to be cool so society listens, sometime, at some point you become so much like society, you are society, and you have no impact. I love sugar. Man, I wish I could just eat sugar out of the container. i got a friend in the band who loves sugar too and everything. I won't mention Sean's name. But... Uh, but man, that stuff's good. But the thing with sugar is if you take a tablespoon of sugar and put it in a, in a small container of something, let's say some pudding or something. Pudding, I got that for Paul. Um, some pudding, you can taste it, but then if you got five gallons of pudding and you, put a, you can't taste it. And so at some point, if we're focused on being cool, guess what we'll stop doing? Preaching the gospel. You know what? Because the gospel is not cool in the world. It is very controversial. When you go into the public arena, particularly with all this gender stuff going on, say, you know what? There's Adam and Eve. There wasn't Adam, Eve, and everything in between. There wasn't a spectrum. There was just two. You're going to get ridiculed. It's not going to be cool. People aren't going to like it. You're going to get called names. We have to focus on the gospel, fearlessly, lovingly standing on the truth. And if we don't, we'll have no impact because we'll be just like everybody else. The beauty of Ephesus was that it was a major world hub. And so this church at Ephesus had a great opportunity and ability to make a major impact on, its, on the world, not just in its little co corner, but everywhere. Let's move to verses 11 through 17. It says this. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even excuse me, so that when even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his body were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and the spirits went out of them. But some itinerant Jews, I feel bad for laughing at this, but I'm sorry, this is funny. This is funny. Some itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists, 
tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were possessed by evil spirits, saying, I sternly warn you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, seven sons of a man named Sceva, the Jewish high priest, were doing this. Here's where it gets funny. But the evil spirit replied to them, I know about Jesus. I'm acquainted with Paul, but who are you? Oops. I think I would have left. Well, they did eventually leave. The man who was possessed by the evil spirit jumped on them, <laughs> beat them all into submission. He prevailed against them so that they fled from that house naked and wounded. I can just picture these naked dudes running down the street crying like schoolgirls because they just got whooped up by an evil spirit trying to do what they weren't supposed to do. But anyway, oh man. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus. How embarrassing too. Hey, weren't you the naked dudes? Got beat up. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear came over them all. And the name of the Lord was praised. So the second thing that we see is an impact a church is making will be reflected in the lives of the people they touch. That's where you see the impact. The message was growing. Paul was performing these miracles that were, made, were designed to authenticate the message, designed to get people's attention. Verse 12 talks about how powerfully Paul was. I mean, you put a, you, anything touched him and it, they took it to a sick person, they were healed. Holy cow, that'd be great. I'd still be playing basketball and baseball and everything else if I could get my knees healed up. Some of these traveling Jewish exorcists, and this is what they did, they traveled along and they cast out evil spirits, sons of Sceva, the Jewish high priest, no less. They saw what Paul was doing and they're like, whoa, we want in on that action. So they go to this dude who's got an evil spirit and they're just like, hey, we command you in the name of Jesus that this Paul preaches, get out of here. And boy, did that go wrong. Evil spirit, I don't know you. I, I, I know Paul and Jesus. And then the man possessed jumps on him and beats the tar out of all seven of them. I don't know how they lost their clothes. I guess the guy was ripping their clothes off and stuff. But huh, these seven sons of Kiva fled the house naked and wounded. And this event had an impact, probably on them a lot, but it had an impact. See, why was Paul so successful? God was with him. Why? Because he was preaching the truth fearlessly in love. He was preaching the truth. Apparently, these seven sons probably weren't quite there yet and probably tried to put the cart ahead of the horse, and they ended up getting beat up and running down the street naked, probably made fun of for the rest of their lives. And we're still getting a, a laugh out of it today. <laughs> How embarrassing. This event became known to all the people in that area. And people were like, whoa, we're not messing, we're not gonna mess around with that. But they praised the name of Jesus. Here's where I'm really excited to take you to on this journey in Acts 19. Starts at verse 18. <clears throat> Many of those who believed came forward confessing and making their deeds known. Large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them up in the presence of everyone. When the value of these books was added up, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins. In this way, the word of the Lord continued to grow in power and to prevail. When we are willing to preach and teach the truth of God without fear, guess what happens? Repentance. Lives change. You know, we talk a lot about coming to Jesus. We talk a lot about faith. We talk a lot about baptism. 
But like I said last week, we, a lot of times we push confession to the side, but confession is so important. Or excuse me, repentance is so important because when repentance happens, you know you need to change. Many of those who believed, what did they do? They came forward confessing and repenting of their sins. And look at verse 19 again. Large numbers of those who practiced magic collected their books, burned them in the presence of everyone. When the value of the books was added up, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins. These people, when they were convicted that they needed to change, that they needed repentance, those books, those books were basically witchcraft and black magic and all this garbage. You know what they did? They burned them. They took a financial hit. They could have said, you know, I shouldn't be doing this anymore, so I'm going to sell them on eBay or whatever. But they couldn't. They realized that these things were so heinous and so rep reprehensible that they had to burn them. Now, I've got a very substantial library myself. I got a lot of it's electronic now, and through the years, I've kind of weaned out a lot of my books. Sold. Jerry buys a lot of them, but uh, I've done that. I've still got a lot of books. It'd be like me saying, you know, let's say I, th those are all black magic and stuff, and me saying, well, I'm just going to burn the software. I've got enough software I could buy a car and books that I could probably buy a car with. And I would be like so convicted that this stuff's all garbage, I'm just willing to get nothing out of it, <laughs> even though I can sell it all and make money. These guys did not want these books in anybody's hands. They were so convicted that they burned them. And here's the thing. Once the truth of Jesus penetrates your heart and your mind, and as it did with them, they knew that Jesus was not some add-in to their life. When you are ready, really, really, really in, a, really in a spot for repentance, you will come to realize that Jesus isn't just a piece of your life. He's not an add-in to your life, that Jesus is your life. These people understood that no more can they just have Jesus kind of off to the side next to, the, next to their books of witchcraft, next to their shelf of idols. Jesus is their life. Once a person comes to repentance, they quit trying to mix their sin in their life with Jesus. They quit rationalizing. They, keep, they quit saying, well, you know, God will understand, you know, God does, but he doesn't approve. Well, God will understand this. Yeah, he understands, but he doesn't approve. When God says don't do something, yeah, he'll understand, but he doesn't approve. And so you can't rationalize your sin. And when you're really repentant, you'll quit rationalizing. You'll call it for what it is, and you'll do everything you can with the power of the Holy Spirit to work through it and to fix it. You're not going to overcome it in one shot in many cases. It's going to be a process. But you're going to say, you know what? I can't quit. I got to quit doing this. It's not pleasing to God. I can't make up a scenario where God's going to go against his will and his word for me. He understands, but he doesn't accept it. They knew they could not blend their old life with their new. And one of the biggest struggles we have in Christ, this is us today, is we're trying to blend in Jesus with our old life. We're a new creation in Christ. And when we're ready to take that step, we will forsake the old and bring in the new. It's a process. It's not easy. But there's a mindset that can get us there. There's a faith that can get us there. But until we're ready to really repent, we'll really never get there. Your life in Christ will be hit and miss, unfulfilling, frustrating, because you've never really sold out. These people sold out. And you know why they did it? Because they were convicted by the word of God.
not by some pop psychology book, not by some perversion of the gospel, not by some another testament of Jesus, not by some salamander. They were convicted by the word of truth. That's when real change happens. That's when repentance follows. Let's move to verses uh, 23 to 25 now. Now it's going to get a little rocky. At that time, a great disturbance took place concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made uh, silver shrines of Artemis, brought a great deal of business, uh, brought a great deal of business to the craftsmen. He gathered these together, along with the workmen in similar trades, and said, Men, you know that our prosperity comes from this business. Here's the other thing. A church making an impact will face opposition. A church making impact will face opposition. Many people were repenting and turning to Jesus. Well, a lot of people in this area worshipped Artemis. They went there, and so you had all these craftsmen, these silversmiths making these little idols and little trinkets and probably key holders and phone cases and everything else that had Artemis on it. And they found out that so many people were turning away from it, their business, they were being affected in their pocketbook. They weren't going to be able to buy Johnny an education now. Little Johnny isn't going to go to school because they're not making money. They're not going to be able to buy all the new equipment because Johnny isn't getting, because daddy's not making money for Johnny. So what does Demetrius do? The silversmith, he gets all the people who work in a similar field and brings them together in an effort to stop the way, to stop the church, to stop Paul, because it's hurting them. In verses 26 and 27, Demetrius explains the following. And you see in here that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a large crowd, not only in Ephesus, but get this, but practically in all the province of Asia, by saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. We'll go figure that. There is danger not only that this business of ours will come into to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as nothing, and she whom all the province of Asia and the world worship will suffer the loss of her greatness. Let me tell you something. Demetrius is a smart guy. Because Demetrius is seeing what's happening, what the church is doing, what Paul is doing. They're taking, he's taking away business because people are forsaking this stuff. And he says, hey, he's saying that something made by hands isn't a god. Like God needs somebody to build him. And so Demetrius wants this stopped. Why? Because changed lives were impacting his business. People were leaving this false god worship in droves for the true God. Why? Because the truth was being preached. And what's interesting here is Demetrius is pretty smart here. He is looking at the long-term picture. And he's saying, you know, not only are we being affected now, but if this keeps up, Artemis is going to be nothing. Nobody's going to worship Artemis anymore. And then Artemis will be reduced to nothing where she belongs. She was nothing but a bunch, a bunch of rocks and whatever. And he realized that. See, when you're impacting your community, the community many times will resist because they don't like what's happening. They don't like the change. This guy couldn't stand the fact that Artemis was going to be nothing. Well, if Artemis is this great goddess, why would she be nothing? You know, in, the, in our world today, Muslim nations won't allow the gospel. And you ever wondered why? What are they afraid of? The truth of Jesus will win. The truth of Jesus will win. When allowed in, you'll see people leaving Islam in droves, I believe, because the truth of the gospel will win out. 
This is what's happening in Ephesus. The truth of the gospel was winning out. And it will in our society. You know, in the United States, we don't block other religions from coming in. Uh, outside, if you're doing stuff killing people, you know, some will put stuff. But I mean, we, we allow religion, other religious beliefs in here. I, I, I'm not troubled by that the least because I should be able to sit down and have an intelligent discussion with people of other faiths and put my view out there. And I believe that if I'm living for Jesus and, and bringing those views out, eventually the gospel will win out because the, the truth will always defeat a lie. Even in politics, the truth will win out. Well, it gets so in, it's starting to get intense now. Verses 28 and 29, we'll finish with this. When they heard this, the silversmiths, they became enraged and began to shout, great is Artemis of Egypt, of, 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 the, of the Ephesians. See, now they're trying to rationalize. The city was filled with an uproar and the crowd rushed into the theater together and dragged them away, uh, dragged them with Gaius and Archelaus, the Macedonians who were traveling with Paul. When the gospel penetrates people's lives, when the truth of the gospel penetrates lives, lives are changed, opposition will come. When we try to blend the teachings of Jesus with the world and we water it down so much that it looks just like the world, why would anybody oppose it? No problem. Oh, well, you don't, you're afraid to teach what we believe on this, but the world believes it. Well, let's just change what we believe and then we're going to get along just fine. You're milk toast. Nobody's going to oppose you. Nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's life's going to be changed. What's interesting is the culture of Ephesus was really not significantly different from the places where many of us live or we visited. Because commerce was king, and a threat to economic stability could bring out a religious passion, as Paul discovered. It was a pluralistic society with a multitude of beliefs. Paul encountered disciples of John the Baptist, Jews, Greeks, Romans, and people who were devoted to Artemis. How Paul handled it and what he taught the church of Ephesus are of great value to us yet today. One lesson that stands out is Paul's insistence on the absolute claims of Christ over their lives. Paul existed for one purpose, to be an ambassador for Jesus. He would go anywhere and talk to anyone about Jesus, regardless of the cost to himself. So our question to ponder is this. Is Paul an extreme example? Is he a freak? Is he a weirdo? Or is it that we lack the conviction and dedication needed to see the world to come know Jesus. In other words, is Paul just the crazy one out there? Or maybe we don't have that passion to do what he's doing. And that's something that we all have to think about. This morning, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. Jesus died on the cross for your sins because he loved you. You know... When we think of life, when you get to the end of your life, and to be honest with you, the older I get, the more I think about this, because I got more behind me than I have in front of me. What's my life about? What's your life about? What are you leaving behind? What's it, what, where are you going? What are you doing? You know, many people are just living life and dying. There's more to it than that. Jesus wants you to be with him for eternity because he loves you. And if you want to experience that love and that acceptance, we invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to sing a song of decision. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you're struggling, need prayer, if you want to come forward, Roger, one of our elders, would be glad to pray with you. But this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision.
Some of you know, and some of you don't, that my wife and I were on a 30-day vacation going up to see family. You know what was the favorite time? Gathering around the kitchen table. Really enjoyed that. We come to the time of communion. It's called the Lord's Supper. We get just a very small taste of it here. Have you ever thought what it's going to be like when we gather with Jesus around his table? You know, many of you, hopefully all of you, are going to be there. There's going to be other people too. All the other Christians throughout the ages are going to be there. Paul's going to be there. Matthew's going to be there. Moses is going to be there. Yeah, I think Adam's going to be there too. Noah, we could go on for too long going through the list of everybody that's going to be there. Have you ever thought of the significance of gathering around the table? It's a family time. You don't bring in strangers from off the street usually. It's that intimate time of family. <coughs> Let us pray. Jesus, you know, when we look at the elements in this table, we see the sacrifice that you had to pay for the sins that we could not atone for. And if that's all you had did, Jesus, we could never thank you enough and praise you and glorify you. But you didn't stop there. You gave us the Holy Spirit to help live the way that God wants us to live. 
And you didn't stop there. You gave us your name. You adopted us into your family. Jesus, as we gather around this table for just a, a very minute feeling of what it's going to be like when we sit at your table, actually. Help us to recognize you, glorify you, thank you, praise you for all that you've done for us. We deserve nothing, but you took us into your family. On the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. We ask you to take note of them. We, we, we will not have an elder meet, preacher meeting this, this evening uh, or today. We have our leadership meeting on Tuesday. Jerry's having all of his activities. Roger's group will not meet this week. Narrow Path, we're meeting here next Saturday at 8 a.m. And then at 8.30, we're going to head to the backside of the Wachuca. So bring food and water or something to drink so that you don't starve and, and go thirsty. The Sunshine Ladies are meeting next Saturday also. The food pantry is in need of peanut butter and jelly, so if you can, drop those off to the public room or the church office. 
um, and we're very thankful for the generosity of our congregation. The CareNet Walk for Life is coming up on the 20th. Operation Christmas Child's accepting donations in some areas. And the, here's a sad note. The school system has advised Peach's Pantry they don't, that they must move to a different location before the beginning of the school year. So therefore, they don't want to move large amounts of inventory. So no food donations after May 11th until the coming school year. Hopefully, they will find a place where they can, uh, where they can conduct their business. They help a lot, a lot of kids, a lot of families. Um, so I think that's everything for the announcements. Oh, yeah, there's one more. Church camp. You see a flyer in your bulletin. For those of you who have kids for church camp age, there's information here for you. We'll have some of these out on the foyer for the next couple weeks also. So talk to Jerry. And uh, we, he is in need of some adult volunteers. So if you would like to go hang out, at, hang out at camp and work with the young people, talk to Jerry about that, and he can connect you up. All right, at this time, let's... Uh, thinking about that for a minute. Yeah, I already showed that. All right, this time let's stand together and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a, our closing prayer and the band will lead us out with a song. Father, we're so thankful that we can be together today. And Lord, we have a lot of people we've been praying for in our bulletin also. We, we thank you for the loving con kindness of our congregation and we pray you, uh, Ken's ho hopefully gonna get home this week. We pray for that. Pray that Kurt continues to recover. And Lord, we, uh, we lift up Ruth Levette and pray that she gets home soon. But Father, I pray for all the people that we have in our bulletin, and we have uh, all the, the, the outreaches like Peaches Pantry, Southern Mexico Mission, and our missions. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place today, that we can do so convicted and, and just ready to serve you and to show the love of Jesus to people around us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.